Genesis, the 15th chapter, and the first through the sixth verse, reads as follows. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and to give you a future. Ruby Hamilton was a businesswoman in her 50s. She was stunned by the sudden passing of her husband of over 32 years in a car accident. Her anger and disappointment went deeper than mere typical expression of grief. She had become a follower of Christ in her late 20s, but her husband did not share her newfound faith, or even was interested in spiritual things. Nonetheless, she had set about praying for him feverishly and unceasingly that one day her husband would come to know the Lord. And one day while she was praying, she felt a wave of peace come over her that she could not understand. But there was also a still small voice that assured her that her husband would be fine. She eagerly awaited for the day when her husband would give his life to the Lord, to surrender it to Jesus. But it never happened because now she's dealing with his passing. What do you do when faith doesn't make sense? when God doesn't seem to be answering or even opening doors or even being found when you call upon his name. Ruby Hamilton stopped in that moment, stopped living for God. Roger Simmons was hitchhiking his way home. He would never forget the date, it was May Seventh. His heavy suitcase was making him tired and he was anxious to take off his army uniform once and for all. He's flashing his thumb at an oncoming car and he lost hope when he saw that the car was a black Cadillac and that it was fancy. But to his surprise, the car stopped. The passenger door swung open and Roger ran towards the car. He tossed his suitcase in the back and he thanked the handsome, well-dressed stranger who allowed him into the front seat. 
Stranger looks at him and says, are you going home for keeps? Roger said, yes, I am. Well, you're in luck if you're going to Chicago, says the handsome stranger. Do you live in Chicago? Well, I've got business there. What is your name, sir? And the driver said, my name is Hamilton. They chatted for a while, and then Roger, a Christian, felt compassion to share his faith with this handsome stranger, this successful businessman. But he kept putting it off because he felt a little bit uncomfortable. But there was something that was just nagging at him. So he turns to the man and he says, Sir, Mr. Hamilton, I would like to talk to you about something very important, if I may. So Mr. Hamilton looked at Roger and he said, Sure. Roger said, Simply, Mr. Hamilton, the plan of salvation is that Jesus died for you and for me. And I would be greatly honored if right now you would accept the Lord as your personal Savior. The Cadillac pulled over to the side road. Roger expected that he was about to get thrown out of the car, but instead the businessman bowed his head and received Christ and thanked Roger. This is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me, said Mr. Hamilton. Five years went by. Roger got married, had a couple of kids and a business of his own. Packing his suitcase for a trip to Chicago, he found a small white business card that had been given to him by Mr. Hamilton five years earlier. So while in Chicago, he looked up Hamilton Enterprises. The receptionist told him that it was impossible to see Mr. Hamilton, but he could see Mrs. Hamilton. A little confused, he was ushered into a beautiful office where he found himself facing this 50-ish year old keen-eyed woman. She extended her hand and said, you knew my husband. Roger told her how Hamilton had picked her up while he was hitchhiking on his way home after the war. Can you tell me what day that was, she said. He said, sure, it was May 7th, five years ago, the day that I was discharged from the army. She said, anything special about that day, Roger? He hesitated, not knowing if she, he should mention or even share the message that he had given to her husband. He says, Mrs. Hamilton, I explained the gospel to your husband that day. He pulled over to the side of the road and wept against a steering wheel. He gave his life to Christ that day. She cried explosively. Finally getting a grip of herself, she sobbed and she said, I had prayed for my husband's salvation for years. I believed God would save him. Roger says, where is your husband, Ruby, Mrs. Hamilton? He's dead. He was in a car crash after he let you out of the car. He never got home. You see, I thought God had not kept his promise. I stopped living for God five years ago because I thought that God had not kept his word. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope. Plans to give you a future. This was a long introduction, but I wanted to set the context for you. And so today I want to talk about faith. And it's a time where many of us may be struggling with our own faith. But I need you to understand this morning that we are not following cleverly crafted fables. 
or really good stories that are in a book that was written over 2,000 years ago. I'm here to tell you that this thing called faith is the only real thing that we have in our life. That while we may think that the things that we see are wonderful and that's all there is, but do understand that the scriptures remind us that the things that we do not see are far greater than the things that do yet appear. So do understand that if you have faith, you have something of value that you, tre that you hold in this earthen vessel. And so I want to speak today from the subject, quite simply, the plan for you. The word righteousness is often used to refer to some kind of moral conduct or to describe something good that you and I may do. Case in point, if we read in the book of Ezekiel, the 18th chapter and the 5th verse, it says, if a man is righteous and does what is lawful and right. The implication here is that you have to do something that affords you the right to say that you are righteous. To call somebody righteous is kind of like to say that they're doing all the right things and that everything is they're do everything that they're doing they are supposed to do righteousness. Throughout the book of Genesis we can easily see that we are led to thinking that righteousness is to be godlike and always god pleasing. Something that I can tell you, my brothers and sisters, is not easy for any of us to do. I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't care how much of a Christian you think you are. To live a life where every single moment of every single day and that everything that you do is always the right thing that you're doing in the right moment is really, really amazingly hard to do, if not impossible. So if what we do is to be counted as righteousness, then my brothers and my sisters, I will be the first to tell you that I'm fallen way short of the glory of God. We are told that our righteousness is as filthy rags. So I bring nothing to the table. And I am there trying to do my best so that God can be pleased with me. I believe if I go to church on time and if I give and if I take care of my family, I'm living a righteous life. I'm not, I'm not straying from the marital vows. I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything. I'm going and I'm working. I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm living a righteous life. Therefore, God should and must be pleased with me. My righteousness, brothers and sisters, is as but filthy rags. But in our text today there is a different way that it seems that we are being asked to look at this idea of righteousness but before I go to the text let me bring you up a little bit in Bible history so you know where we are Abraham and his family lived in a place called Ur of the Chaldees he left that place and he went and settled in another place called Haran. He was there with his father, Terah, and his entire family. His father eventually died. And God said to Abram in that time, I need you to leave your father's house. Leave all of this and go to a land I will show you. God started Abraham on a journey towards a land called Canaan. 
Abraham had no idea where he was going. But because God said so, he decided to go. He went and settled in Canaan for a while. And while he was there, he had challenges like you cannot even believe. He left with his nephew Lot. And through the passage of time, it got to the place where Abraham and his wife were struggling because there was a famine in the land. So Abraham decided he's going to take his wife and he's going to go to Egypt for a little while and he's going to try to get some food for his starving family. But while he gets to Egypt, what ends up happening is simply that Pharaoh sees Sarai, his wife, and considered her quite beautiful. Abraham think, thinking that if Pharaoh knows or finds out that Sarai is his wife, then certainly Pharaoh is going to kill him so that he can have his wife. So Abraham decided to deceive Pharaoh and let him believe that Sarai was his sister. Sarai went into the house of Pharaoh and word eventually came to Pharaoh that you need to be careful because this woman is married. Pharaoh, shocked, turns to Abram and says, what is this that you have done? Why have you done this? Leave. And so Abraham left with whatever he could get from Egypt to go back home. Now, let me pause here for a moment. God had made Abraham a promise. Abraham took matters into his own hands to think that he could care for himself and protect his family. That's you and me. But we need to remember that I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. As the story continues, Abraham is now back in Haran, and war breaks out, and his nephew Lot has been kidnapped. And Abram is so upset, assembling 613 men, goes after his nephew Lot, retrieves him, and brings him back. Time goes on, and Lot increases and decides to go live in a place called Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham is back in his own place. You all know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. So now, after Abraham has brought back Lot now to his home, after that debacle, it is here that God now gives Abraham this vision. God says to Abraham, after this, after all of this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And God says, Abram, do not be afraid. I am your shield and your very great reward. Abraham now says, but sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? The one who will inherit my estate is my servant. God says, your servant will not be your heir. Look up at the stars, how many there are. So shall your descendants be. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I'm going through all of this, brothers and sisters, because I want you to understand something very important about God. You cannot go to God with your problem and what you cannot accomplish after God has declared 
a blessing over your life. Too many of us, we see what we don't have and forget what God has said. There's a difference. Faith is costly. But the thing in the text that I want to draw your attention to is where it says, Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky. Count the stars if you can. And he can't. And then God said, So shall your offspring be. The beauty in the text is now it says, Abraham believed God. And he, God credited it to him as righteousness. Remember we began by saying righteousness is doing all the right things? Now we see in the text where God is doing something different, where Abraham believes God and God counts what he believes to him as righteousness. When you don't have children in the Old Testament days, what it really means is your wealth will end up being the prize of someone else. Every father wants to leave a lot to their children. So Abraham is really distressed. But God is saying, don't judge by what you see. Because the things that we see are nothing compared to the things that we do not see. I'm talking to you about faith. I'm telling you that faith is not something that is a nice word. It's saying that you're going to have to appropriate in your life a way of living that demonstrates that you're not being controlled by what you don't have, but what you do have in God. This is not an easy thing for you to hear or, or to appreciate or to understand unless God does a work in you. You kind of have to have seen God do some things in your life. You kind of have to hear of how God has done some wonderful things in other people's lives so that you can get to the place where you can believe God. For until you believe God is God, until you get to the place where you can say, Lord, you are God, I am telling you that you have nothing, nothing to claim as it relates to faith. You want God to do things in your life, but yet you really don't believe what God has told you. In this church, it's not by accident that we have here just believe. You could tell me all the wonderful things that you have done for God and how you plan to bless the church, but my big thing that I'm looking for is, do you believe? Because until you believe, all the things you want to do for God is not going to be counted to you as righteousness. For your righteousness as mine is nothing more than filthy rags. God is not in the business of giving you something to prove he's God. You and I get to the place often where we want God to prove to us that he is God. If you do this, God, then I will do that. If you show me this, God, then I will do this. My brothers and my sisters, we got it all wrong. For if you know God like I know God, whatever it is that you want God to do in your life, here it comes, he has already done it. The question is, can you get to the place where you can catch up to God? Where you can find out where God is working and partner with him? God is not your genie. 
God is not there for you to rub it until he gives you what you want. Then you decide to worship him. Then you decide to praise him. Brothers and sisters, we have not. Not because we ask not, but really because we believe not. I'm trying to help you to understand that if you can set aside your pride, if you can set aside your arrogance, if you can set aside your know-it-all self, if you can set aside your piety and recognize that the very air that you are breathing, you're breathing simply because God has been good to you, then you are in the place where you can start to experience saving faith. I'm not going to belabor this, but I do want to say something to you real simply. Faith, the Bible tells us, is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is not something that you just wake up and say, I've got faith. Oh, no. Faith, the Bible tells us, is that all you need is just a little bit, the size of a mustard seed. And you can do wonderful things. So I say to God, how can I get this faith? How can I get the kind of faith that allows me to not depend on what I see, but more on what I hear? How do I get the kind of faith that allows me to see obstacles in my life and not see them as obstacles, but see them as opportunity? How do I get the kind of faith that allows me to see that if my children are acting a certain way, that I don't need to worry because you have a plan for them, for you know the plan you have for them. Plans to prosper them and not to harm them. Plans to give them hope and a future. How, God, do I get that kind of faith? Because what we think is faith and what we're calling faith is really not faith. What we are really doing is we are hoping for the best hoping for the best if I do this for God I'll hope for the best if if I if I give my offering I can hope for the best I don't want that kind of God I don't want that kind of God that I can hope for the best I need a God who is sure I need a God who is the same yesterday today and forever I need a kind of God that his word is his bond. I need a kind of God that when he says he will do this, he's not doing that. He's doing exactly what he said he will do. I need the kind of God that when I go to him and first believing that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him and I can enter into his throne room of grace that when I pray, he hears me for my sheep hear my voice. I need that kind of God to show up when I need him the most. Faith is always a response to God's word. Always a response, not a precursor. It's a response to God's word. God say, go, you go. God say, jump, you jump. God say, walk, you walk. God say, run, you run. And sometimes the hardest thing for us is when God says, shut up. And you still choose to speak. Faith is always a response to what God has said. But how can I respond to a God I don't believe? Do you hear me? So I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, that all the kind of faith that I'm talking about that can lift you out of the miry clay of your lives begins with you believing that he is. You must believe that he is the one that calmed the storms. You must believe that he is the one that raises the dead. You must believe that he is the one that parted the Red Sea. You must believe that he is the one that when he hung on that cross, knowing that death was his 
destiny knew that I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. The kind of faith that I'm talking about is the kind of faith that you will walk into a fiery furnace. The kind of faith that will say, listen, I know that my God is able to deliver me. But even if he does not, I will not bow down to your statue. The kind of faith that will say, listen, I have every reason to stay home tonight, today, because my eye is bothering me. I had every reason to call in and say, licentiates, y'all have a sermon ready? I had every reason to call every pastor I know and say, listen, I'm not having on my best day, so can you fill in? But oh no, the kind of faith that I'm talking about is a kind of faith that says, come hell or high water, you can afflict me here, you can afflict me here. The kind of faith that says, is this all you've got, devil? Because as long as there is breath in my body before the rocks cry out, I will deliver for the Lord. The Lord says, preach, and I will preach. The Lord says, sing, and I will sing. The Lord says, dance, and I will dance. And the Lord says, love, and I will love. Faith is always a response to God's word. And faith, it's not perfection. Just because I have mustard seed faith and you have oak tree faith means that you're more perfect than me. No. Listen, with my mustard seed, I can move a mountain. So the question becomes, what are you moving with all of your tree faith? You got all that faith, but you ain't doing nothing with it. Listen, listen, you all want to know what it's like to put your family hostage. Giving up your income to chase a God that you're not quite sure if what he's telling you to give up, he's going to give you back. But my brothers and my sisters, it is my testimony and you know it. Even if he does nothing, even if he does not repay me, he is still God and I still would do it again and again and again. Those who come to him must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. I am diligently seeking the Lord for this is only a test to see if I can withstand some things before I am ready for the next level. So brothers and sisters, you become my witnesses for you see that while my light affliction was but for a moment hang on hang on for the ride for you ain't seen nothing yet the best is yet to come and how do i know it eve you know how i know it you know how i know it andrew you know how i know it mary you know how i know it bob for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. So in conclusion, for Abraham, it was God's plan all along. And in our story, 
of Mrs. Ruby Hamilton. She prayed to God for her husband that he would be saved. And it wasn't necessary for her to know when or where. So, so, <laughs> so here's what I want you to know, brothers and sisters. When you pray for your children, sincerely believing that God knows the plans he has for them. Plans to prosper them and not to harm them. Plans to give them hope and a future. It may not happen on your watch. But if God promised you that he's got this, oh, God's got this. If God promised you that he'll never leave you and never forsake you, God's got this. If God promised you that he will make you the head and not the tail, God's got this. If God promised you that your tomorrow will be greater than your yesterday, God's got you. So I don't know what kind of faith you have. I don't know what your past is telling you about God. I don't even know whether or not he's fulfilled or done anything in your life. I don't know. So I can only speak from what I know. I can't speak for you, and I can't speak for my wife. I can't speak for my children, but I can speak for me. Because, and here's the testimony. I once was lost. But now, I'm found. I once was in despair. And now, I have hope. I once felt forsaken, ashamed, embarrassed, thinking that I would never amount to anything. I once felt that with all the ridicule and the bullying as a young man, that while I was resilient, it still impacted my self-esteem. I once was lost in the wilderness of the unknown, the uncertainty and ambiguities of life. The fear and the worry of not knowing whether or not I would make it to the end, to the other side. Whether or not I'm going to be a good enough husband to my wife, a good enough father or a good enough grandfather. Whether or not I'm able to, to, to teach or to do anything that's going to be of any value to the kingdom of God. I once was lost. But he picked me up out of the miry clay. He grabbed me when I couldn't even save myself. He planted my feet upon a rock and he bathed me. He took off my garments of despair, my grave clothes from where I had once been. And he has now given me a new garment and he has placed on my lips a new song that I can sing. And in the midst of recognizing all the blessings around me, whether my eyes are open or not, I sing praises unto my king. And he whispered in my ear, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. So my brothers and my sisters, the Bible tells us
that Abraham believed God and God counted his belief as righteousness. No amount of works that you do is going to be enough for God. No amount of regular giving that you do online is going to be enough. No amount of coming to church and making yourself available to the pastor is going to be enough. I appreciate and we appreciate your faithfulness. We appreciate all of those wonderful things. But let me be very clear, as God is my witness, that God is interested in your heart. And your heart, the heart that God wants, is the heart that first believes. So if you don't believe, this sermon means nothing to you. Because believing is the first step. But then faith is the willingness to act on what you believe. My prayer is real simple. That somehow, someway, God will speak to you today and will tell you something about the plan he has for your life. And if you hear his voice, even right now in this worship experience, do me a favor, write it down today. You got the bulletins, the back of the bulletins for a reason. If God speaks to you right now today in this worship service and gives you some kind of plan for your life, the date is already here. And in our story, it might as well have been May 7th. But today is a day of salvation. And today is the day that you can make it the first day of the rest of your life, even if you've given your heart to the Lord already. What I want you to understand, my brothers and sisters, is that I want you to have faith. I want you to not give up when the going gets tough. I want you to stay the course no matter how you feel. I want you to preach even when you can't see. I want you to be able to say to God that whatever may come, however high the water, however deep the ocean, however high the mountain, however crooked the way, however dry the desert, still I will give you my glory, my honor, and my praise, for you are worthy of it. Glory to God is what you now do after you have received faith. With your faith, you now glorify God, for you are one more person that the devil tried to stop and couldn't. Notice I didn't say didn't. I said couldn't, which is very different. When you stand on the shoulders of all those who have come before you in faith, my brothers and my sisters, as we heard from that bishop, we look behind so that we can move forward. And it takes great faith, great faith, but you only need it the size of a mustard seed. So, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and plans to give you a future.